Rolly, this is Scott. Scott? Hi, Rolly. This is Scott Storm. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Good. Wait, I, I just uh, go ahead now. Rolly, this is uh, here. I am, and I'm with my my co-host Aaron Robbins. Hi, Rolly. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing <clears throat> well. So wonderful to be talking to you. It is a pleasure to be talking with you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. I'll what? see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> To all who come to this happy place, welcome. This is not Santa's workshop. It's just one section of a creative world where new attractions for Disneyland are conceived. Now a great deal of time, sweat, and a few tears were expended on all this. But there's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities which become a part of Disneyland. Hey everybody, welcome to Bobsons and Banthas, a podcast about Disneyland, Star Wars, and all the other things that Disney Company owns that we love. On this episode, Aaron and I get the unique opportunity to sit down and speak with Disney legend Rolly Crump about his theory of design, his life, his legacy, and his experiences with Walt, Yale Gracie, and many, many other Disney legends. We are so excited to share this interview with you, and we're going to get right to it. But stay tuned afterwards so that you can hear Aaron and I talk about our thoughts with sitting down with this amazing individual. Our next guest is a Disney legend, both an animator and an Imagineer. In addition to working personally with Walt Disney throughout his career, he's done work for Wrigling Brothers, Knott's Berry Farms, Casino Tycoon Steve Wynn, and even Jacques Cousteau. He's one of the creative forces behind The Enchanted Tiki Room, Living with the Land, The Haunted Mansion, and It's a Small World. His work is beloved by millions of guests who have visited over the years, and he's an amazing storyteller. We are thrilled to welcome Disney legend Rolly Crump to our show. Rolly, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, I'm here. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> you are here, and we cannot be happier to have you. Uh, you you grew up as an artist, and you were always drawing, and it's very clear that you were talented, but one of the first questions that we have is, is who encouraged you the most growing up? My mother, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she was right behind me 100%. And, and, uh, and so she encouraged you to, to be drawing all the time? Did she see this? She as, did. She did. But she, she did. didn't have to encourage me. <laughs> I was drawing anyway. <laughs> and what? And you were drawing from adventure serials and things that you were hearing on the radio, is that right? Yes, it was, definitely. <clears throat> I, I love the radio because that's where I got all my ideas from. Sure. <clears throat> so it was a great time. I loved, I loved that period of time. Well, I loved all my periods. And, and what were your parents doing uh, for a living during that time? Because you, you grew up in Southern California, correct? Oh, just my mom and me. It was great. Because uh, we were really a kind of a, I mean, she was really sweet with me. She believed in me and she supported me and uh, got me on pencils and paper and always made sure she had stuff in front of me and always made the, the radio available to me so I could listen to the radio because really, the radio really is what trained me because I could draw whatever I could hear on the radio. So that's what got me started. When your mom was watching you draw, was the idea of, 
of working for Disney in animation a thing that was in her mind? Was it in a thing that was in your mind? No, no, not then, not then. Later on it was, but not then. Where I got uh, excited about Disney was my father took me to see The Three Little Pigs when I was three years old. And after I came out of that little cartoon, I said to myself, I want to work for that gentleman. And I was thrilled about it. I couldn't stop talking about the three little pigs. So that was good. That was my introduction to Walt. And little did I know what would take place. So it was great. Uh, Yeah, I think that's an understatement, what you just said. (laughs) Now, you have a a very, uh, I would call it a serendipitous story about getting your first shot at Disney Animation. Would you tell us a story about when you were having, uh, was it Christmas Eve dinner with your mother and her friends and one of them worked in animation? Yeah, at a Christmas party we went to. And uh, we were there at the Christmas party and there was a lot of, my, my mom lived in uh, Westwood and there was a lot of people there uh, that happened to work for Disney, which was kind of a crack up. And so my mom said, well, my son has always wanted to work for Disney. So one little lady stepped up and she said, well, if he, if he needs a phone number to call, I'll give it to you. So they gave me the phone number. And sure enough, the next day I went down and I called. And, and I made an appointment, which I was shocked. I didn't know I could get an appointment that easy. So that's how it all got started. And then I went over for my interview, <clears throat> which was kind of interesting. And uh, I was completely, you know, uh, took a little tiny guy inside of me saying, you know, go ahead with it, Rolly, follow it through. And because uh, I was scared to death. Sure. I mean, you know, I think you're going to try to get a job at Walt Disney when you're 19 years old. It's a pretty scary thing. I went in and, and my only portfolio was a high school uh, series of drawings that I did. And it wasn't a portfolio. It's just a series of drawings. And I'm sure as, as a later date, I was told when they transferred me from animation into WED, I was told by the uh, the art director at that time that I had had the worst portfolio of everyone that ever applied for a job <laughs> at Disney. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> it didn't bother me at all for him to say that because I didn't think I was very that, that good anyway. <clears throat> but anyway, that was what got started. Aaron, did you have a question? Yeah. Did you have uh, animation experience at this time or was the idea that they were going to train you in the actual art of animation? All you had drawn was uh, still still life stuff. I didn't even know what animation was. <laughs> I, didn't have a, I didn't have a clue. You know, at least the kids that go to uh, art school before they try for a job at Disney, they get a chance to learn what animation is and how it works. But when I got there, I didn't have a clue. I didn't even know. I didn't know I was going to work in animation. I just knew I wanted to work for Disney. So that was pretty naive on old Rolly's part. So this was at the Burbank Studio, correct? Oh, at the Burbank Studio, yes. It was in the animation department. In the yeah, it was. Uh, it was one of the directors of animation. They had the uh, two offices downstairs. And then we were all over the place after that. So, so Rolly, taking a look back at that that moment in time when uh, you were at that Christmas party, and uh, and and that was sort of your your shot, right? And you got your shot and took your shot. Um, taking a look back at that time, what do you? How do you view that? Is that coincidence to you? Is that the right place, the right time? Is that divine provision? Is it something else? Like, what do you think about that opportunity? Oh, it was an accident. <laughs> A happy accident. You know, I've always been on a road that I knew nothing about. 
and I have to follow my road. And so that's exactly what took place. And I was so fortunate. I don't know how lucky I was to have that happen. It was the perfect timing for me, too. Well, it's it, and and the world has been blessed as a result of that. Okay, thank you. Thank there are you. guests, there are guests, and uh, and fans that are just so thankful for that opportunity. So, what now? When you began work at Disney Animation, you were an in betweener. Is that correct? Oh uh, yeah, I was an in betweener. Yes. And now, Aaron is an animator, and so he knows what an in betweener is, but I don't. Could you? Would you mind explaining that to us? Yeah. Well, I do. Uh, an in betweener does every other drawing, and it's as simple as that. And there's generally 32 drawings a second. So that's basically the bottom line. And we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do 30 drawings a day, uh, which was kind of interesting as well. So it was a a marvelous time frame. Uh, And the thing that I learned was when I started working there, I knew nothing. And I knew, I knew nothing. So I said to myself, well, Rory, you better be a good sponge. So I spent my life being a, a good sponge in many ways, which was great. You got to keep it simple. So when you were in animation, uh, were you aware of what was happening at WED at the time? And was that something that you were aspiring to do or were you happy where you were? No, no, not at all. WED came up later because WED was not in existence when I started there. I started there in 1952. So, and I don't know when Walt decided. Oh, I went, to, yeah, in 59 I went to Wed, so it hadn't even been thought of yet in 52. But you were you were present for Disneyland's opening day, correct? Yeah, yes, I was. So what was, what was that like being, working for the Walt Disney Company and being at Disneyland and seeing it open? Can you, can you ex- go back to that day for us? Oh, I, yeah, I'll take you back a, a little further than that because when we were in animation, uh, they were under the process of building Disneyland. And so, uh, but we weren't aware of that. And so then what happened was all of a sudden we saw bits and pieces around the studio lot that represented things that were going to be at Disneyland. And we thought, oh my God, what is this? And so, because we really didn't, we were really in the dark. We didn't know exactly what Disneyland was. This was before Walt got up and talked to all of us at the studio. And then one day Walt, brought us all over to the, to the main uh, theater and explained what Disneyland was going to be and showed it to us. And then all of a sudden we could see some of the things that had been happening at the studio we realized were part of Disneyland. So we were brought into it very slowly about what, what, what it was. We never, we never saw the big picture at all to begin with, like we, like we did with Epcot. With Epcot, we got all that stuff way ahead of time. But at the studio, it didn't work out that way. <clears throat> And when you were brought on, when you when you first sort of learned what Walt's vision for Disneyland was, do you remember how you you personally felt? Excited, scared? A lot of people thought he was crazy. What did you think? I thought it was great. Well, I was thrilled. Um, I have to, you know, you have to be in the head of a person working in animation. You always got excited and looked forward to everything that Walt was giving to you. So I think that was the bottom line was anything that Walt said you were excited about, no matter what, because you knew if Walt came up with it, we were going to do it. It was as simple as that. And, and at that time, Rolly, did you think uh, that you would ever be working on Disneyland? No, no, not at all. Although, I'll tell you kind of a kid story. <laughs> when they had opening day at Disneyland, they 
we got a hold of a lot of us artists in animation. We used to paint on rocks, you know, just pretty little pictures on on beach rocks. And so uh, all of a sudden I got asked to do a bunch of drawings on rocks to sell at Disneyland. And I said, oh, okay. So all of a sudden I was part of Disneyland from the outside by doing little painted rocks, which was kind of a crack up. And where did they sell those rocks? Oh, yeah, they sold them on uh, Main Street. Uh, little, one little side street on, on Main Street had artists in it, kind of an artist role. And uh, so there was painters there, and there was a rock painters, and, you know. On opening day? On opening day, yes. That, I want you to know, I don't think Rolly's ever told that story. No, I don't think I have. That, no. is, that is an incredible story. Yeah, it was a side street. It was one of the little side streets Does that went anybody... down where Carnation, Carnation is. Yeah. Does anybody have any of these rocks? Do you guys have any? Not that day. No, not that day. Because then I got started painting on rocks after that and became on my own. Yeah. I I never got a penny. (laughs) (laughs) Never got a penny. (laughs) So we've seen some of those rocks, some of the ones I guess you did later in your book, and they they are beautiful on such a small canvas. The, the, The paintings are just amazing. Oh, yeah. Kind of like the ones you framed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Roly, one of the things that we want to pause to talk about is uh, something happens while you're working in animation that, that in some ways charts the course of the rest of your career, and that's your work with the propellers and the mobiles that you started to build. What drew you to, to designing those propellers to begin with? Yeah, but I'll bet you the story of how I spotted them. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> there was an animator that... Uh, did a lot of little crazy toys and stuff. He was uh, he ended up uh, designing Mr. Lincoln because he was that he thought in that direction. You know, a lot of people in animation had other things that they did as well. And in this particular case, he was a kind of a little toy maker. And uh, so he um, he was working on eventually, like I said, Mr. Lincoln doing the programming. But what happened was. Um, I don't know, he ended up with a little propeller one day, and he put it on a pushpin, and he had it on his lamp at his desk. And when I came over to check with him, this little propeller was going, and I was blown away by it because I couldn't figure out why the propeller was turning. And I found out later it was because of the animation in the studio and also the heat of the lamp that the pushpin was sitting on. So the heat from the lamp hitting that little propeller made it spin. And I was blown away because... I eventually got very interested in kinetic sculpture. Anything that moved, it was a, a sculpture. So I asked uh, Yale, with, I mean, not Yale, but it was, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I asked him at the time, how did he do that? And he says, it's a secret. And I said, what? And he said, no, it's a secret. So I went back and I tried to do it. I put all kinds of little propellers on push pins and nothing happened. <clears throat> so I worked on it and I can continued working with him on, on the scene that he did. And after about three weeks, I said, wait, though, please tell me, how did you do that? And he said, no, <laughs> tell you. He said, but I'll sell it to you. I said, you sell it to me? He says, yes, I'll sell it to you for a penny. So I said, okay, fine. So he just sold it to me for a penny and he gave it to me. <clears throat> and he says, now I'll tell you the one, why the ones you did didn't work. He says, you don't make the dent in the propeller with a push pin. You make the dent in the propeller with a ballpoint pen. So the little pin has something to write on. So, oh, so I went back to my desk and Bill wanted us. Shit, that works. So I'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess 
night about it. I ended up filling my room with propellers, <clears throat> which is kind of an interesting story all by itself. So anyway, and then I had an exhibit in the library with all my propellers. Now this backs into <clears throat> where I came involved with WED because uh, Walt was looking for people to work for him at WED. And so he used to ask around in the animation department about uh, people that might fit in work WED. And uh, Ward Kimball, for some reason, had seen my propellers and fell in love with them because he liked kinetic sculpture. So he told Walt about Rolly. He says, uh, why don't you get a hold of Rolly? And he says, uh, what do you mean get a hold of Rolly? He said, I haven't had a try to get a hold of him. He says, he's having an exhibit in the library with all his propellers. Why don't you go to his exhibit? And so Walt did. So he would. Walt went to my, my exhibit. And I got a call from the library saying, Walt was up here today. I said, oh, my God. I, I said, that's great. They said, he really enjoyed it. She, they said, he laughed a lot. And I said, well, God, that's good. At least something I did made him laugh when it was probably the marijuana posters. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was when they called me to tell me that Walt had been in, and he laughed, I said, did he go down the hallway where the dope posters were? And they said, yes. I said, oh, my God. So he knows all about my opium, my cocaine, and my heroin posters. So that was kind of my little sideline of craziness that I did. So it was because of that that Walt decided to hire me. So uh, they decided to pull me out of, and my the animator I was working for was in Europe on a vacation. So they never told him. They just took me away from him without telling him. So when he came back. My desk was empty, and they went down to the office, and they said, where's Rolly? They said, well, he moved to WED. Well, of course, the big story back in those days was that anybody that worked in animation that moved to WED, you'd never see again. And so it was kind of like quicksand. They went to WED, they went to quicksand, because you'd never hear from them ever again. So that was kind of a crack-up, which was kind of fun. Raleigh, I wanted to ask you about the the materials that you used to make those propellers. It looked like to me, and I would, I would like you to confirm this, that it was a Palomino 602 Blackwing pencil. Did you use the metal insert from a, from a Blackwing? That's right. That's right. So I have, I actually am holding two 602 Blackwings in my hand right now. I don't think Scott's ever held one, but uh, if I give you a penny, will you tell me how to make the, make the propeller? <laughs> Well, that's exactly what you do. You put the dent with a ballpoint pen in the center of, of the eraser holder. We're going to put no. these on our Instagram. The, the Palomino Blackwing is is the animator's preferred pencil. It's just amazing to me that that a pencil that it was revered by Preston Blair and Warner Brothers and Disney uh, actually has such a connection to you, getting you into WED and the park, that, that that pencil plays such a huge role in animation. And now Disneyland, just fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> still using the black wing. That's great. That was a great time. In fact, the animator that I worked, that I was in an office with, uh, when I was making the propellers, decided he'd help me. So he's helped me start building some of the propellers. So my little office was completely filled with propellers. And I'm sure one night, Walt must have come down and seen them all. He did see them all when he was up at the library. But I think he decided to come back to my room as well and see what was in there. So the man had a great sense of humor, and he was a delightful man, absolutely delightful. I, yeah, and I would like to, to talk about that. So when you get moved over to WED, it's really the first time that you meet Walt Disney. Is that correct? No, no, no. 
Oh, when I moved, when I was invited up to meet, we had meet well after I was hired. Yes, that was the first time I met him. And I shook his hand and I said, Mr. Disney, it's a pleasure on meeting you. And he says, no, it's not Mr. Disney. He says, it's Walt, and don't you forget it. So from then on, I it was Walt to me. And it was kind of cute because he smiled and laughed when he told me that. You said in your book that he had a sparkle in his eye, and and so I'd, yeah. will you will you comment on what you think that sparkle was, or what it was what it was like to meet this this man that was a legend and would become a legend? What was it like to to have that experience? I don't have a clue. <laughs> no, I know I was so goddamn excited I couldn't see straight. I mean, I didn't know what to say to the man. You know, what did I have in common with him? Nothing. You know, so it was just, uh, you know, he's your idol, he's your God, and all of a sudden you have to talk to him, and you say, oh, shit, what am I going to say? Yeah, but you I, that began multiple opportunities of you working very, very closely with Walt over the years. Oh, God, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got along really great. We had, we had good times together. And and one of the things that he uh, he did was he he paired you up with with Yale Gracie to work on the haunted mansion, correct? Yeah, right. And so, how did that happen? Did did he direct you two together? What was his uh, intention behind doing at that point the haunted house? And and how did you and Yale become? Was that the first time you met Yale? Oh, uh, it was after that for a while. Because they gave me other assignments before I got on the mansion. I was, did Walt uh, put you and Yale together? Yes, yes, Yale. Yes, he did. Yeah, and um, put us together. In fact, what he did, which is really funny, which we didn't know, he picked both of us up from the rooms that we were in and put us in a room together. <laughs> we didn't know what we were, why we were there together. We didn't have a clue. And he just basically said, I want you guys to work on the Haunted Mansion. And we looked at each other and said, what the hell are we supposed to do? You know, so it was kind of a crazy, a very crazy time. Very crazy. But Yale and I would start talking about if we were building a haunted mansion all for ourselves, how would we design it for Disney? Do I understand correctly that this was originally pitched as a boat ride? I've I've heard that before. Is that true? Well, yeah, it was going to be a boat ride later on, way later on. This was after we built the mansion. Oh, I see. They talked about the, the convention. Uh, Yale came up with the idea that maybe the mansion should be a boat to be able to move all those people through it. And um, so that was, those were crazy ideas that just kind of zipped through ideas for the mansion that were thrown out. So there was tons of those that were thrown out. And, uh, of course, none of them stuck. That didn't make any sense. You... Uh got to design, I guess, uh, some of the stretching room paintings before Mark Davis came in and took over. Do you remember what your designs looked like? Do you remember what you drew for the stretching room? No, no, no. no. Well, Yale had invented the elevator and the illusion that went with it. So he says, well, he do me some sketches. So I did some dumb sketches. Uh, I didn't even know what I was doing. And so what happened was uh, we were still trying to do the stretch paintings and try to use some of the little sketches I did. Well, what happened was Mark came in one day and told me, he said, uh, you know, I'm going to redo your, your paintings because yours aren't any good. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was very frank about it. And so I said, and I knew he was far better than I was, yeah. so it didn't bother me at all. So I said, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so that's how the stretch paintings got designed. You don't remember what yours looked like? No, I don't have a clue. Mm. Don't have a clue. 
Because we were doing all kinds of little thumbnail sketches all over the place all the time. That was going to be uh, one of my questions was when you and Yale were working on this together, were you just paired up in a room together and you're just brainstorming and drawing and sculpting and yeah. trying to get, trying to put things together? Absolutely. Yeah, we were just a couple of guys in a room kind of bouncing ideas around and, and just playing with our imagination with each other, which was great. And and I'd like to talk to you about your relationship with Yale. Were you friends outside of work, or was this just a work relationship? I mean, you're working together so closely on something that is so creatively intimate with each other. What what does your work relationship or friendship look like during that time? Well, it was perfect. It was because I respected him because he'd been a layout man for years, so I respected him and did everything he said. So I basically followed his lead, and uh, we came, we kicked a lot of ideas around together, and we were we were like a couple of story guys, you know, doing little story sketches and stuff, and so we we got along beautifully. I just loved Yale dearly. I used to go over to his house every now and then, and uh, it was kind of fun to go over there and meet his wife, and and then see all the little crazy things that he had built inside his house. They were nuts, you know. You walked up his walkway to go to his house. And there was all these little sticks, little black sticks. And what they were, they were lights, little lights on the end of a stick. But then he put a soap and paper shakers uh, unscrewed from the caps and put on top of those. So the little street lamps were really the the little pieces, uh, the little pieces of glass uh, holders that held the salt and pepper. So it was, I mean, yeah, I was always doing crazy stuff. And so I just loved working with him because he had a, a nutty imagination. He was a real Geppetto. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great way of describing him. And, and, and then, of course, one of the most famous effects that you two worked on was the Pepper's Ghost, uh, which you know yeah. revolutionized uh, theme park design and ride attraction design and all those types of things. Yeah, well, right. And, and, and how did you stumble on this? Because this is a, a very... Uh, very old, very historic uh, trick of the mind that was performed out in public spaces, out in out in the open. How did you and Yale discover this and say this is something we need to put into the haunted mansion? Well, Yale discovered it. He had a book called The Boy Mechanic that he'd had for years, and in The Boy Mechanic, uh, it talks about Pepper's ghost. It talks about Doctor Pepper and his illusion. And it, and, it, 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 and not only that, not only does it talk about it, but there's diagrams that were drawn by Pepper. And uh, it was incredible. Yale discovered it and said, you know, we got to do Pepper's Ghost. And I said, what? <laughs> so, that, and so we started working on Pepper's Ghost together. In fact, we did a, uh, a full-scale mock-up of Pepper's Ghost to show Walt in one of the sound stages. And it really went over well, really Walt just loved it. And and this became uh, originally the idea of using these effects was in a walkthrough attraction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you think the haunted mansion would be better today as a walkthrough, and why? Well, I would have preferred it as a walkthrough. Walt preferred it as a walkthrough. He just he he told us one time. He says people love to be scared, so he says any we can scare them any way we can. So that's basically the bottom line on what Walt thought about it. But that's why the walkthrough was better. Because you can scare people easier. Mm. If you put them in a conveyance, they know they're being protected by the conveyance. But if you're walking, that's a different situation entirely. 
So anybody that uh, anybody that says that the haunted mansion is perfect, we can say, yeah, but it's not what Walt wanted, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> so looking back on your career, which project brought you the most joy while you were working on it? Every one of them. <laughs> okay, but if you had I'm to make a kidding you, one of them, I, I give them all the same level. Uh, it was just an exciting time. Working with Walt was incredible, and everything in Simon that he gave us was absolutely unbelievable. And as it turned out, he became a partner of mine on the designs I was doing. And so if it hadn't been for some of his direction and partnership, a lot of that stuff never would have been done. So, I mean, the, the clock's a good example, because one time uh, uh, there was a clock that we had to do for Disneyland, and so um, uh, it was Walt that said, First of all, there was a platform. And Walt said, what are you going to put on the platform, really? And I said, I really don't know. I said, maybe I'll put a band up there that can play for people as they come by. He says, no, we're not putting a band up there. He says, why don't you put a clock up there? So I said, okay. So I went back and designed uh, a sketch of a clock and showed it to Walt. And then Walt said, I want to see a model of it. Because he always wanted to see everything in model model form. Because it gave him a better feeling about what it's going to look like because he used to love to do models for his, his trains that he had when he was a kid and so to him he thought like a three-dimensional model so anyway that's what happened i uh you know that was a, a thing that he and i did together uh the other we did everything we did we did together so if you had to if you had to pick a, a, a waltism something that Walt told you, some, the funniest thing or the craziest thing or the most endearing thing that Walt ever told you personally, what do you think that would be? Oh, that's kind of a hard one to pull up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know why? It was, it was, it was, well, it's always in the conversation. I can tell you crazy things that happened between Walt and I. I know that Jack is my next-door neighbor there in the model shop, was six foot eight, Huge man with gigantic hands, but he made these very delicate, tiny little models. And so one day when he was over there, when Walt was visiting with uh, with us, uh, with, yeah, with he and I, rather, not yeah, but uh, Walt, excuse me, Jack. And uh, finally, and Jack was standing there, and, and Walt said, uh, how, do, how do you do that, Jack? How do you, with those huge hands of yours, build these delicate little models? And then I said, excuse me, Walt. I said, but I have to tell you how he does that. And he says, how is it? I said, those hands unscrew. And he's got little tiny hands underneath. <laughs> well, he just went bazook. He was really pissed off at me because he thought I was going to tell him really how Jack did it. And I said, maybe he does it with his own thumbs, you know. I don't know how he did it. So, you know, we would get into kind of crazy conversations that you couldn't uh, retract from. Uh, there, yeah. there seems to be this thread of, uh, of a lot of Imagineers not really understanding Rolly's process, but Walt oh. always seemed to understand Rolly's process, which is so endearing. Well, we were very honest with each other. <clears throat> you know, um, I'll tell you how honest we were. When I first saw the Tower of the Four Winds, uh, when they were building it, and I really hated it because it was over-engineered and ugly and fat, and Walt said to me, says, Rolly, what do you think of the Tower of the Four Winds? I said, I think it's a piece of crap. He looked at me and says, Roland, it can't be a piece of crap. It cost me $400,000. Mm-hmm. 
Was it 200,000? Oh, I'm sorry. I always exaggerate things a little bit. <laughs> it was a lot of money. Yeah, it was a lot of money. And so I said, okay, well, it, it, and it's not, a, it's not a piece of crap. But, I mean, he and I were very, very uh, casual with each other. I mean, we just talked like a couple of guys. I mean, there was nothing. There was no big space between us. And I never was scared of him I, uh, because I loved the man too much. And I trusted him, and I knew that he trusted me, and he wanted me to be honest. That's the one thing he taught me was to be honest. So, and I saw, and I saw a lot of non-honest things take place in, in our group once in a while. So I said, that's never going to happen to me. Would you say that you saw your relationship with Walt Disney as a, a friend, a boss, or like a father figure? Father, father, definitely a father. I was like following my dad, you know, and I believed in him and, you know, it's as simple as that. A lot of the guys lied to him and I know that he didn't like that. And I never, I said to myself, I'll never do that. I'll give you an example if you'd like. Is that um, Blango sculpting the pirates, the heads of the pirates, and uh, Mark's, they were Mark's designs. And Walter bought off on all of these um pirate heads and uh, then when Walt wasn't there Mark, excuse me, Mark went up to the sculpts and said change that head I don't like that head and so and the sculptor told him he said no uh, he says Walt bought off on that he says I don't care I said, he says, I want that changed so he changed it and the next time Walt came over and he saw that it was changed and he, and he says to the sculptor you changed that head he says yeah he said, well, I don't like it. I want to go away. Was, why, why did you do that? And, of course, Blaine wouldn't say Mark told him, told him to. So Mark stood there and heard him not say anything and not speak up for him. And Mark, uh, you know, that was, I thought that was horrible. I thought that was terrible. And I took the advantage of that one time by uh, saying, yes, I told uh, a that was designed something for me. And I had him do it the way I wanted because I told Walt, excuse me, Walt, I said, I told him to do that because he's chewing the, the, the model builder out about what he did. So anyway, it, it was it was interesting to, to be honest and stay honest uh, going through this because, you know, everybody looked up to Walt. You know, he was a god, and uh, that was it. So, But people did lie. I remember seeing a lot of people lying. And uh, I got sick of lying because there's no time to lie. There's right. no reason to lie. I, I was lied to so much you can't believe it. I know I was lied to when I first did the little bizarre. Well, we won't go into that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have an 11-year-old son who is uh, dreaming of being an Imagineer. Aaron has daughters who are also dreaming of being Imagineers and production designers. And I would love to know what advice can you pass on to the next generation of future Imagineers things that you, that you think that they should keep in mind as they're growing up and studying and working and uh, and what that should look like if they want to achieve that dream of doing what you've done. Yeah. Be a good sponge. That's the number one thing is to be a good sponge and do your homework. And uh, I think if you do your homework and you're a good sponge and you listen to everything and follow everything, you follow your heart, follow the one that you like the most. That's pretty simple. I don't think it's complicated at all for me anyway. Uh, I, I think those are pretty good life lessons as it is. I, you know, Rolly Crump says, be honest, be a sponge, 
and uh, and take the opportunities that come to you, right? Yeah. Do your homework. And do yeah, your do homework. Your homework. <laughs> do your research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he'll come to me. Hench told me, do your homework. And so he was one of my best teachers was John Hench. So he was good. And he was a great, he, well, I won't go into that because it goes on forever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rolly, we have uh, been thrilled to spend time with you. We thank you so much for your time and uh, just your, your candidness. It's been amazing. <clears throat> there were good questions today. I love those. Did you get the right answers? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a surreal experience. I got to tell you, I was so emotional the whole time. I was like giddy with excitement. There was a couple times I, I felt like I was tearing up. Like I couldn't, uh, it, it was weird. I felt like I was listening to a radio show at the same time yes. that I was talking to a friend where I was like, is this is this happening? Am I hearing somebody talk about these things? Who was there? Who was there? Yeah. That's the amazing thing is, is we've seen interviews with Rolly before. Yeah. Uh, you can watch the Imagineering story and, and hear him talk about his experience as an Imagineer. But to hear it from him personally, to be asking a question to him and having him respond to it yeah. was a very surreal very and surreal. wonderful experience. Oh, I know. Here's the here's the crazy thing. First is uh, you move through uh, you move through this phase where you're like you're just inter- you're you're ta- asking questions that that seem like things our guests would want, our our, uh, our listeners would want to hear, and then you realize, oh wait, this guy's mind is the answer to every question I have. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I'm like, who designed the wallpaper? Where was I know. it in, in Haunted Mansion? <laughs> like, you just, you realize all of Aaron, all of Kid Aaron's questions that have been stored up for about 30 years of life, this man has the answer to. And like, forget the podcast. I'm asking personal questions now. I, I felt like a little kid just sitting at the foot of like a grandparent who's just telling us about the way things were and just being and just hanging on every single word that he had yeah. and yet at the same time being very conscious of his time he's he's donating his time to us and so we had 3 hours worth of questions that we could have asked him and we only wrapped it up because we wanted to be respectful of his Absolutely. time and his day uh, but we were just so thankful that he spent that time with us and very excited because he said he is happy to come back on the show and talk more in depth about things like It's a Small World and Tiki Room and The Haunted Mansion. And so uh, yeah. I can't wait to have him back. Two other quick thoughts. When I had this other Disneyland podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, did you interview Rolly Crump on that one? <laughs> no, 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 oh, you didn't. No, oh, what, no, what didn't. Disney Legends did you interview on that podcast? Uh, yeah, exactly. Great quest. Great question. We did ask a question one time of our listeners about something like if you could do something over again at Disneyland or what Disneyland memory would you want to relive? And one of our everybody was like, oh, when I was there with my kid for the first time, first time I ate a churro. And then this one person's like, I'd like to relive the moment when I shook Walt's hand. And I was just like, it was like record player full stop. Like, <laughs> Wait, what? The piano player in the corner just stops and turns <laughs> yeah. around. And I was like, wait, what? And I just remember since that moment uh, being very excited by the idea that there's still people that uh, that are connected, first generation, in person, connected yeah. to Walt, that era of the studio, to animation, to Burbank, to the launch of Disneyland, to opening day. These things for a lot of us, a lot of us in the Disney fan community, these things have passed into legend. It, legend, mid. exactly. It's like trying to find Luke Skywalker. Like, is that a real story right. or is it not? I don't know anymore. Uh, and so to still have firsthand access to somebody like Raleigh, who my other point of this was that so delighted to talk about it. Like, I, f- I feel like I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm such a Disney nerd. I just have, I just have 45 questions for you. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> Just a quick 45 (laughs) and then a lot of subparts to all those questions. But he was, you know, but there was a a joy there. There's, there's a man who was, uh, who is, uh, content 
with his life's work. Yeah. And I think we can all strive for that and just be like, there's somebody who did it, man. He took opportunities. He was a sponge. He went for it. And you can hear in his voice that he likes these stories. Oh, right. and that he, he takes delight in hearing that other people are interested in these things. Uh, one thing that I noticed you missed, though, because uh -oh. uh, I've never spoken to somebody who was there on opening day. Have you yeah. ever spoken to somebody? Nope. That, so we have now spoken to somebody who was there on opening oh. day, and you forgot to ask <laughs> how hot it was. How hot it was. Oh, come on, Raleigh. It wasn't that hot, was it? Just be on my team. That'll be a follow-up question yes, that we have for him. Uh, uh, we, uh, we're just looking through the things we forgot to ask. Yes. How hot was it on <laughs> opening day? Do you feel like it was as hot as it's being reported? Seems exaggerated. Did you see anybody's heels sink into the concrete? You didn't yeah. see that, did you? What's that like for you to hear somebody talk about Walt, Walt as if he were alive and in, in, the, in that room with him talking? You know, it's like you said, these stories that we hear have passed into legend. And yet to hear somebody who said, like I introduced myself as Roland and he, and, and, you know, he started calling me Raleigh and I said, Mr. Disney. And he said, it's Walt. Yeah. It's, it's like, again, I, I don't even know how to respond to something like that. Yeah. It, it's just one of those magnificent stories. They feel legendary, yeah. even though they are true, they feel legendary. And it's <sighs> such a joy to hear him tell it yeah. because you can tell the amount of reverence that he had for that man yeah. and that everybody had for that man yeah. and that he was as special as people make him out to be. Uh, it would have been amazing to work for him and we get to talk to a guy who, who did, did work for him, did, did it. Very close with him. I love the story. I love that there's there's things you and I think about Disney, Disneyland and Walt and working for Disney and what that should be like. And I hear a story about a, a guy whose name is Roland, not Raleigh. Right. Uh, but then when he's he's meeting Walt and working at the Disney studio, uh, sounds like Walt calls him everything from Orwin. Yeah, to that's Roland. right. And Orwell, I think, yeah, was one of them. Yeah, and yeah. finally Owen. lands on, on Owen. Yeah, finally lands on Raleigh which just happens to be his childhood nickname as well. Yeah. So you have Walt Disney taking somebody who's now a man and turning them back into a kid at heart, which is just what Disney did. And I just think that like the uh, the allegory of what Disneyland is supposed to do to be for the for the child in all of us. Yeah. Like now I have this real example from somebody who was like, yeah, Walt just randomly started calling me my childhood nickname yeah. and that became my name for the rest of my life. It's like, of course. Uh, talk about his book. Yeah, so uh, uh, you can find out more about Rolly Crump in his biography, It's Kind of a Cute Story, by Rolly Crump and also Jeff Heimbuck. Uh, you can get that on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle if you want to. It's such a quick and great read. It's a great read. It's as casual of a conversation as the one we just had with Rolly. It's got a lot of great stories in here, amazing artwork, a lot of great photos that really just drive home uh, what this man's design style was his philosophy of design and color and yeah. shape and all of those things yeah get get that on amazon get yourself a hard hard uh, paperback copy of it because it looks great we have it sitting here in front of us looks fantastic i have digital and physical I bought, I bought both both versions of it let me ask you this as a podcaster a lot of these interviews you and i when we do them not the interviews a lot of these podcasts when you and i do them if something goes terribly wrong you and i can just restart it's just me and you we can yeah. we can do whatever right how is it setting up all this tech and plugging all these cords in and getting ready when you know like this is a non-redo situation you have to get this right i quite literally quite literally looked at our setup at one point about 10 minutes into talking with Rolly, and i thought did i hit the record button <laughs> oh no did i hit the record button and i almost reached over to hit the record button because i'm like does red mean recording or that a recording stopped i can't remember right now <laughs> and i just i i have 
minor yeah. heart attack. And then I just saw the numbers going up. And I remember Aaron saying, if the numbers go up, it means we're doing something right. That's so, right. Yeah. So. You, just asked me, hey, really, you, you guys are recording this on your end, right? You, you guys got this all set exactly. up because we don't know what we're doing. Oh, we were just having a phone conversation. Yeah. Uh, I guess we should be recording this yeah, at some point. Yeah, it sounds like we should. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was, uh, I feel like we, we did it. I'm very excited that we did it. Yeah, and thanks for listening. So excited to bring you uh, episode two of Raleigh and the future and hopefully uh, episode three, three because four there's, there's just, anyways, so uh, much fun. Thanks for listening. Oh yeah, we just had a great time doing it. We look forward to doing it again really soon. So this has been Bob's and Banthas. We release every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, or wherever you can get podcasts. If we are not where we should be, please Coming let to us know. Amazon Prime Music and Audible. Oh yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, we're coming to Amazon Prime Music and Audible in the next couple of weeks. Hey, thanks for talking about that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> if we're not where we should be, please let us know. We would love to be there. Uh, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us over on iTunes. If you leave us a review, preferably a five-star, it does uh, a great job for us in getting us out to other people who need to know about our show. Please follow us over on Instagram. We are at Bobsleds and Banthas. You can email us. Info at bobsudsandbanthas.com if you want to do a show with us, you want to do a collaboration with us, we would love that. Other than that, I I'm spent. Yeah. I don't know about you. Uh, I have been Scott. I like Raleigh. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom Disneyland is growing every day. This Saturday night. Now there are more new rides for more fun. Synthomagnetic musical sound. Through the magic of light and sound, yes, there's more fun at Disneyland in Anaheim. Open every day, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done.